Welcome everyone, this is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I am your host, Rob Elba. And it's a great day, it's an exciting day. Uh, It's an exciting day for my guest, I think, and it it sort of worked out cool that, that, Alan, that we're taping your, uh, you know, we're taping your episode today, I feel like, but uh, well, let me introduce you first. Let's welcome uh, back to the show, Canadian uh, filmmaker, you know him from Vinyl, uh, stealing images, I curmudgeon when Jews were funny, uh, and more. Let's welcome Alan Why Welcome back to the show. Alan. Nobody knows me from stealing images. That's just. But that's, that's but that's kind of that's just uh, like on some you read on my IMDb. Well, of course, of course. Well, th- then but I, I know was, you from that. Here we go. He, he's starting anyway, already. It's was, beginning already. I'm just saying. I don't know what people know me from, and particularly Americans. The only films of mine that penetrate. Across the border, probably your vinyl and when Jews were funny and vinyl and when Jews were funny, I think, especially and especially yeah. uh, fans of this show, vinyl. I think yeah. by the, this yeah. point, most of them know vinyl. But the exciting thing was that uh, I saw today a uh, Telefilm Canada uh, funded the production of twenty feature length documentaries in the English market. And I saw on that list, uh, ending it all, director and screenwriter Alan Zweig. So Alan's going to be making another doc. Yeah, I'm a, it's it's weird. In the time that, let's say, we've known each other, that I've been listening to your show, I've been basically, uh, you know, what do you call it? Without work, out of work. Right. And right. basically, you know, listening to a lot of music and going on your podcast and walking around listening to your podcast in earbuds, which helped me lose 50 pounds and all that, but nice. but kind of wondering, am I ever going to get to make a film again? For various reasons, the documentary business in Canada was always, you know, very fragile. But for a good for a couple of decades there, I was doing really well. But it was inevitable as I got older that I would hit a, you know, it would get harder. And yeah, I thought it might be over, but no. You're right. I today they announced. I mean, I knew a couple of days ago, but it's weird. I I went in the car with my girlfriend to our storage space, and I went and picked up some drugs at the pharmacy. And then the guy called me, and later I said to my girlfriend, "You know, when I got in the car, I didn't know. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't that happy when I got the drugs. I wasn't that happy. All of a sudden, now I'm happy. Like yeah, it's like the first day. Like everything became." Because I'd been waiting, and of course, you know, you can guess that I was just like totally preparing myself for the worst. How, of course, yes. You know, and and <laughs> when I got it, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but in over the years of disappointments here in Canada, it's not even showbiz, but let's pretend it's showbiz. Right. <laughs> over the years of showbiz disappointments, I reached a point where, when people would say, "Are you happy?" and I'd be like, "You know what? I'm really relieved I didn't get bad news." I'm really <laughs> relieved that I didn't get bad news because then I'd be really depressed now. I'm really glad I'm not depressed, but I can't, you know, whatever. I can't let myself 
be happy. That would be too much. <laughs> so I'm I'm very relieved that I'm going to get to make another film. And the fact that it's about my friend's suicide, that's fine. You know, and maybe that I'm making a film about suicide, not a bad intro to the record. Yeah, well, all right. So this is a, a great segue into what you're doing because I was thinking on the one hand, well, Alan's got to be happy in a good mood but the the album we're talking about is definitely not a feel-good album i would say all right so what what's the artist what's the album we're going to talk about well first of all like i'm not saying this complete you know it's weird i was kind of inspired to make this choice by your buddy making the choice the elo's greatest hits for me that one was like okay all bets are off because ah. it's not only e- not just ELO, but not even one of their albums, like Greatest Hits. I'm only mentioning that because it's possible I would, if you said ELO is great art, I might not argue with you, but otherwise I've always said there's no happy art. There's no great art that's happy. All oh, right, art, right. All, all, all art is about mourning, you know. I mean, again, this the record I chose is Neil Young's Tonight's the Night. It's a record about mourning. I think that's fair. But, you know, it's not, it's not what, I don't think it, anybody tells me sad music makes them sad. I don't know, I don't buy that. It's just like, you know what makes me sad? Salsa, you know, Macarena. Oh, that like, makes, right. <laughs> you know, like, like it's kind of like, what are you so fucking happy about? That, that's, I don't like that. But right. sad music is beautiful, you know, whatever. It's beautiful music, so... It would not, it does not bring me down to listen to this record. It right, fills right. me with its beauty and that makes me feel good. Yeah, and, yeah. And you made that point when we had our, when we did our a Patreon episode, uh, that song broke my heart. You, yeah, you mentioned that. You said, well, it's kind of weird because I love the, the music I love. It makes me feel happy listening to it. So no matter what it is, you know, even if it's a sad, you know, or about something, a dark subject, it's going to, if it's great music and it's well done, yeah, it's going to make you happy. I mean, the only thing that would break my heart is if, one of my, let's say I was a musician, a musician that I hate and I think I'm better than them, got a big hit. No, that right. Would, that would break my heart. But that's but the a curmudgeon. That's the cur- you know, there, there's a, I'm going to share this with your audience. It's a very dark thing, but somebody said it to me once and I thought, oh man, that is so beautiful. They said, it's not good enough to succeed. A few close friends have to fail. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Because if I, you know, if I today, if I got this announcement that I got the money and then I see a few of my friends got it, too, I'm like, oh, you know, it's not as good good if we all got it. Only if I got it. Right, right. Well, hopefully there's some filmmaker out there that didn't make it and that saw your name in the list and that is pissed on you and secretly hating you. So hopefully. Hopefully. Yes. From your lips to God's ears. Right. All right. So, um, all right. So we're talking about tonight, tonight. Yeah. As you said, at its core, it's an album of grief, like supreme grief, uh, crazy horse guitarist, Danny Witten, uh, and, and, uh, Neil Young's friend, Bruce Berry, who was like his friend, Rody, they both died of drug overdoses like months. And uh, it's this. interesting is that Danny Witten is the one who turned Bruce Berry onto heroin. Oh, and right, then Bruce right, Berry, yeah. Bruce Berry, I didn't know this, but actually Bruce Berry, it's like, you know, I feel like there's all everything I have to, this record was kind of made in Miami, but but I, since you're in Los Angeles, I just keep thinking about Los Angeles, and right. definitely Bruce Berry and Danny Witten, they were, anyway, Bruce Berry was the brother of Jan Berry, 
of Jan and Dee. I was cruising in my stake late, late one night And an XKE pulled up on the right He rolled down the window of his shiny new Jag And challenged me then and there to a drag Oh, I didn't even know that, really. And, and the story goes that when, it's kind of funny because when, when Danny went, when, what happened was it's very like inside show business. Neil, uh, Stephen Sills was going to England to put together Manassas, and he he lent, and Neil Young lent him Bruce Barry. He went to England. There, Danny Witten turned him on to heroin. He came back, and he became one of those junkies that most of us have known. One of those like pathetic ones who like show up at your house and are gonna like steal your TV while right. you're watching it, and you're like, "Come on, Bruce! Like, <laughs> I'm standing right here." He 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 stole. He hawked one of David Crosby's guitars. Right, right. Famously, he was like pathetic, but of course, you know, still he wouldn't want him to die. No, no, and and, and uh, yeah, and and Neil, you could feel throughout this, you could feel the grief, but the uh, bitterness too, the like the bitterness, uh, you know, of, of heroin and how you know it's so uh, stupid, it's so pointless that it, you know it takes these people from his uh, from his life. He, he said, Young himself said about this record, the whole thing is about life, dope, and death. <laughs> yeah, although I mean, actually, the other interesting story that I didn't know was that he called Danny Witten to to join this stray gators i think even they were going to do heart of gold or something and he showed up and he was too stoned and eventually he he fired him he gave him 50 dollars and a ticket back to airplane ticket back to los angeles and that night the coroner phoned him that he died oh my God. and he didn't die of a heroin overdose he died of other drugs like methacolone oh okay, but, okay. um you know what i find interesting when you're talking about that, it's about the dope or heroin, is that I love this record always. But I, you know, looking at the lyrics is almost something like the five times in my life that I've looked at lyrics, two of them have been to be on your podcast. I mean, otherwise, I just don't right. even know what, I never know what these songs are about. And so when I would listen to this record, I guess I assumed in the back of my mind all the songs were about heroin and all that, but actually no, right? The song is, it's the grief that comes through in this record, I believe, comes through in the performances, in the way he sings, the way his voice sounds, etc. Just, there's, there's only a few songs where any kind of vague reference to dying or heroin or anything comes out it's it's not just one it's not like needle in the damage done yeah but that was on you know the other record that harvest. wasn't even on this record. Yeah. that record that was supposedly about danny whitten and that's on harvest i caught you knocking at my cellar door i love you baby can i have some Yeah, yeah. No, but you're yeah. I, I I think you're exactly right, and I've and I've sort of made this point before. Like you don't have like yeah. We we dig into the records and we dig into the lyrics, but there are people like you that love. And I feel like the great art it gets in there no matter what. Like you don't have to listen to it. It's just it, like you said, the grief comes through in his singing and the performance and the way it's put together, and it it gets through regardless. You don't have to sit down and study it all. It all just gets in there. 
you know, maybe I'm saying too much, but, you know, the, the thing, let me just talk a bit about Neil Young before you start. First yeah. of all, Neil Young, the first record I got by Neil Young, which was Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere, came out in 1969. But I think of Neil Young as like a 70s artist. Right. And I would argue that the records, he like the six or seven records he made in the 70s, ending with Russ Never Sleeps, I would put those up against like any streak of 10 years of records anybody has the kinks or the beatles or right anybody but you know i think of neil young as the person i just who i started to love in that transition part of my life when i was kind of becoming an adult and i was choosing and i'm not at home listening to radio anymore i'm like living on my own and trying to figure out what to do with my life and you know, choosing the music and the books and the art and the movies that I like. And that's the only explanation I have for, you know, like tonight's the night, how deep it got in me. Because, you know, I don't listen. Like the thing about my record collecting now is I avoid everything that's familiar to me. I just go to the store and I buy like five records of bands I've never heard of. And then maybe I like one of them. Right. And, and the old catalog stuff of like Neil Young, whatever, I don't listen to it. But my friend asked me to buy him a copy if I saw one and I bought it. It just, you know, just, just around the time, actually, I think that you're, again, that the ELO was on your show. And I played it and I was like, oh, yeah, no. Right. This is like <laughs> one of the greatest records ever made. Like, like you, you know, you have to, you have to, you know, stand up for Neil. So, yeah. Are you a Neil Young? I just want to ask because, you know, you. I know that you don't hate Bruce Springsteen and you don't hate no. whatever, but that it is. But, you know, people, you know, people probably hate Neil Young for the same reason they would hate Bruce Springsteen, kind of like, like, oh, yeah, classic radio. I'm sick of that guy. Where does he stand in your Oh, oh, well, yeah, the the thing is, the one thing that always surprised me, yeah, because I love Neil Young and I love, I even love, I mean, I love even his weird records, like trans, like I I really love that. And I loved Crazy Horse. There was a point in my life where I sort of rediscovered, because I I have an older sister and she listened to Neil Young, but where I rediscovered him and did a deep dive and, and just realized, yeah, like he said, that he's like one of the, one of the great, you know, musical artists, but it always, it always amazed me. Some people just can't stand him because of his voice. They can't get past that. (laughs) And they just never get past that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's, I literally, I'm not in a patronizing way, but people say that about Neil Young. They say it about Bob Dylan. They say it about Leonard Cohen. And I just feel sorry for them. I just like, okay, I get it. I, I don't like a lot of singers too, but the singers I hate, you know, I mean, I'm a Canadian, but I can't get past Getty Lee. Okay. 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 Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So I won't, I won't, I'll miss out on, I believe, I actually believe I'm missing out on something with Rush. I might've liked Rush, but come on. Yeah. Neil Young, <laughs> Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen. Yeah. There's a guy here I know in Toronto and he's like hardline, like I like good singers. And then he, he took it to the nth degree saying like, He'd rather hear Celine Dion sing Bob Dylan songs. And it's like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like you're an idiot then. Like, 
If, if, you know, that's I, fair. That's uh, I think that's fair yeah. to call, call him an idiot. I don't think she. I don't think Celine covered Dylan, but I suppose she could do knocking on heaven's door or something. I, I don't have any interest in hearing that, but I don't know. Maybe. Uh... <laughs> yeah, but you know, I get it. But I mean, the thing is, I don't understand how anybody who listens to rock and roll for any length of time is demanding that people have great singing voices. That was what my dad said. Like. You know, like, exactly. oh, but he doesn't sing like Sinatra. And it's like, this is why I hated Sinatra until I later discovered, no, whatever. I like people with good voices and I like people with shitty voices. Right, too. right. Yeah, yeah. Same with me. I like, Doc, uh, yeah. you know, Dr. John, like, like, does he have a good voice? You know, like, does he, even whatever, does Muddy Waters have a good voice? Like, really? Right. Anyway. I would say, yeah, I would say me, uh, uh, most, uh, yeah, uh, there are some really great singers that I love, but I would say a more, the majority of what I listen to, I like interesting singers, quirky singers, not necessarily a traditionally good singers, but that's sort of what I'm drawn to. And that, but but yeah, with someone like Neil, it, it's not even about that. It's about... Uh, the delivery and his artistry. And one thing I want to mention real quick before we get into this, because Alan, you know, when, when I prepare for these episodes, I, I buy the record, you know, I buy it digitally wherever I can get it. Right. And then I make the clips. But then when I'm, when I just want to listen to it, usually I, I use Spotify and I just go to Spotify and I listen to it in my car and I'm looking and I'm thinking, wait, what's the matter? Why can't I find this? I'm looking. And then all of a sudden right. it hits me. Oh shit. No, he's not on yeah. Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, before you started, I just want to say one other thing, a little Canadian shout-out. Good. So I grew up with a sports writer in the Globe and Mail, the national newspaper, named Scott Young. And he was my favorite writer. He had a column in the Saturday paper. He was like a sports writer, but like also a bit like Garrison Keillor, kind of a homespun guy. And then one day he wrote an article about his son, Neil, getting in this band, Buffalo Springfield. So the first time I heard about... Neil Young was from his father, Scott Young, who wrote a book called Scrubs on Skates, which every young Canadian read. Anyway, so that's... Uh, oh, wow. Neil Young was born in Toronto, son of Scott Young. Yeah. He later moved to this place called Omami, which is when he sings, there is a town in North Ontario, that's Omami. And then he learned, moved to Winnipeg, where he hung out with Randy Bachman, and that was it. After that... That's he, he, you know, he went took the hearse down to California, and that the rest is history. Yeah, but that's good. I'm I'm glad. I'm actually really glad that you landed on because uh, people may not know this, but in between Alan's last appearance, his record, he's gone through like maybe six different records that he said he wanted to do, and yeah, then well, yeah. finally landed. I know. On, I yeah. mean, that's the thing is right. The basic thing about ELO is made me decide. Okay. If I live to eighty, I'll get to the really obscure records. But but if both of us. You know, if both of us live 10 years longer and I'm still welcome, maybe I'll start going to the weird choices. Right, but right, right. You let, me, let me pick some, <laughs> you know, let me make some choices for the, you know, this is whatever. It's on lists of greatest records ever is Mojo's 100 greatest records and a thousand records you have to hear before you die. And so it is. And let's, all right. So we're going to start listening to it. But one thing, I mean, for, I, I assume, you know, it's something you do this and you assume, well, well, everyone knows tonight, tonight, but, but maybe for those who don't, the thing that's so interesting about it is that, that he sort of, he put a band together for it known as the Santa Monica Flyers. Uh, and it was Neil Young, Ben Keith, Nils Lofgren, 
and uh, and the, what ended up being the Crazy Horse rhythm section of Billy Talbot and Ralph Molina. That's most of the record. But most of this record, it was recorded in 73, and it's very... I mean, they didn't, I mean, they, uh, Nils Lofgren has said, like, they sort of got the songs and they didn't, they weren't given time to learn them. They were sort of doing it kind of off the cuff and it's very, it's very loose and it's very raw, which gives it a very raw, immediate feel, which gives it this, like, really interesting quality for an album. Well, yeah, somebody, I mean, I I think it was somewhere I read, like, at the same time that this had been recording, Steely Dan released Countdown to Ecstasy. And you know, and if somebody says that, I would say, yeah, I like both records. Like, but right. yeah, this was. Oh, the other thing I guess we should mention is the so-called ditch trilogy so the, basically three of his records are often grouped together that he made around this time and i never even knew i just assumed ditch trilogy meant well it's a ditch you know must be sad but actually it's a quote he made that when i made harvest i was driving down the middle of the road and i decided after that to go drive into the ditch and then and then so he made tonight's tonight in 73 but the record company rejected it. So then he released a live record called, I can't remember, I'll remember later, but, and then, and then he released On the Beach. I hear some people been talking me down. Bring up my name, pass it Probably your Neil Young fans among you will say, well, that's actually the best record on the beach. But I, I, I would say maybe it's the second. And then in 75, he released Tonight's and Night. So those three, the, the that one and the one I can't remember are the ones. In the, I, that, that's funny. I never knew that. I'd heard it. I've heard them referred to as the Ditch Trilogy, but I never realized that's what it came from him, from his quote. That's, yeah, that's really Yeah. Cool. The, the other one is called Time Fades Away. And... I never bought Time Fades Away because, you know, he had this other record, Journey Through the Past, which was like a greatest hits record. And the cover of Journey Through the Past and the cover of Time Fades Away look exactly alike to me. So I just ignored that record, like the middle record of the Ditch trilogy, you know, right. the greatest records ever made. And I didn't I didn't even know it existed till a couple of years ago. But. <laughs> wow. All right. But let's listen uh, to the opening track. Uh, let's listen to the first version of Tonight's Night. Line. 
life was in his hand well, Late at night when the people were gone He used to pick up my guitar And sing a song in a shaky voice That was real as the day was long Tonight's the night Yes it is uh, yeah, so there it is. So obviously written as a tribute to Bruce Berry, and he's not pulling any punches. I mean, he's mentioning him right at the beginning that this yeah. is about him. Although it's yeah, it's a you know the um, I've often said that Neil Young has written more songs that sound exactly alike and yet are really great and distinct than anybody like. Neil Young songs really, really, really sound like other Neil Young songs. He's really, but this record, I think, is less, a bit less that way. Like this, Tonight's the Night, that's, it's almost like not a song. Well, yeah, that's the thing. There's nothing you can't, I mean, I did see a late version of him covering it with like beautiful girl backup singers and making it kind of, but otherwise, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's like I'm going to start this record with like barely a song to tell you where you're at. Yeah, yeah, and and um, uh, purportedly him and the band like they recorded it, but they wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't play it back. Like he wouldn't let them hear it until they were finished recording it. You know, he was purposely sort of letting it letting it be on the edge, and that sort of gives it that quality. You know, that that very raw uh, quality to it. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I heard that he, yeah, he told them, you'll play it a couple of times till I think you, I have the best version, and then that's it. You that's know, it, I won't right. Do anything to it. <laughs> and yeah, that's, uh, there is a, right, like I say, there, I guess the, there's something pretty about the tonight, the night part, but the Bruce Berry part is like, that's like lunky, claudy, I don't know, sort of clodding rock and roll, but it's, he isn't worried. Yeah, he, he wasn't worried about finding a uh, melody, like a sweet melody or something. He was just uh, no. spitting out the, the words and the stories uh, about him, like he said. So it is barely a song. But, uh, you know, I think as off the cup as the album is, there there is care put in how the, it's sequenced and how the album is sequenced. Oh, yeah. No, I think the sequencing right? is amazing because, you know, we'll get to it. But some of the songs, you know, some there are some amazing songs and then there are some sort of like okay songs and that are almost like bridge songs right. or palate cleansers. Like they can't all be that great. And sometimes in film, when we're editing, we say that we're laying track between like that great scene. And then we can't just go to that great scene. So we need to like take a rest, but we can't just stop. So we have to put something in between, you know, that keeps you in the mood but also let you rest before we punch you again. And I feel <laughs> right. like that's that's happening a lot in this record. Even I would say this next song. Yep, this. yep. That's a good segue. Let's listen to the second song on here. Speaking out. Groovy, it was out of sight. 
So I didn't get to it, but I'm going to play a little bit because there's a part towards the middle where he says, all right, Nils. And sort of Nils Lofgren like didn't even know that he was just giving it to him and let's let's do give me a solo. And Nils said they didn't get to rehearse much, you know, so he just kind of be it gave it a very free form and kind of trust your instincts thing. But that's the thing about this record. Also, he's playing with these really great. Well, also, like, you know, I love the Neil Young records where he does his crazy long solos. But I don't think he does any solos on this record. Right. And these solos that, well, whatever, these like blues fills, I'm probably, that makes sense to me that they're Nils Lofgren and not Neil, and they don't sound like Neil's guitar playing. But let me just sort of maybe make a slight lyrical analysis here, which is I do feel, I don't, I'm not even being like clever here. The idea of searching and not knowing where he is and not knowing where he's going next is all through the lyrics of this record. And this one, he says, I've been a searcher, I've been a fool, I've been a long time coming to you. Like, I feel like, yeah, this is like a guy. It's weird. In 1975, when it came out, I was definitely having a moment. And uh, okay. he's having a moment. I think he's having a moment. I think that basically the theme of grief comes through not just in his voice and the playing but also in a lot of the songs where he seems confused like even you know i don't think there are any really love songs on this record although he may when he says i've been a long time coming to you i guess maybe that is well yeah i guess he's sort of alluding a little bit he had a relationship with carrie snodgrass the actress carrie snodgrass and they had a son zeke so when he's saying you're holding my baby and i'm holding you and it's all right you know that is probably yeah it's probably i mean carrie snodgrass was the person he was referring to in that song a man needs a maid and Right, right, I loved right. Carrie Snodgrass from that one movie that she was in, Diary of a Mad Housewife, and that's that's a movie where he saw her and fell in love. The searching, yeah, the searching is a big thing. And all right, so the next song, "World on a Stream," I feel like another big theme on the record is his because obviously he came when Harvest came out, he all of a sudden became a rock star, you know, like a famous rock star. But you could tell he very quickly soured on the whole idea of it, that it's not, it's not, a, you know, which most, I think famous rock stars probably realize it. I know, but very, I mean, very few, very few, I can think of very few rock stars who went out of their way to sabotage themselves right. <laughs> as much as he did. Even, you know, even like, quitting in the middle of a Crosby Stills Nash and Young tour because he's not feeling it. Like, right. But that's what make that, that that's what makes me love him even more. He's just so he has these convictions and whatever. You could agree with him, not agree with him. That's why I love when I realize, oh yeah, fuck. He said, fuck you, Spotify. You know, I uh, uh, Joe Rogan's an asshole. I don't want to be on Spotify anymore. And good for him. You know, obviously that's not a that's not considered a good a uh, business move, you know, but he 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 would never give a shit. No. I mean like he's that. yeah. He He's a, like, I made a film, I curmudgeon. He's a curmudgeon. Oh, definitely. yeah. <laughs> He's a curmudgeon. And, you know, that's... Hopefully he wouldn't he, deny and, it. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, and he made some crappy, like, he made some horrible films, too. Like, uh, and, and I kind of love him for it. He's, <laughs> right. Like, 
<laughs> we tried to many years ago tried to pitch him on a film and no he's i don't well jim jarmish i guess made sort of a film but basically he wants to make his own films about himself and he and like yeah they're not great but right he doesn't yeah, but care good on him for wanting to to experiment yeah. and try different no things. no i i admire him yeah he's yep. a, he he like whatever he's a true artist and i'm not saying every musician isn't but he's the real deal anyway. yeah yes for sure and this i love the lines in this you know i lose uh you know i win you know i call for the shape i'm in uh, it's just a game you see me play only real in the way that i feel from day to day so let's listen yeah. to a little bit of world on a string Searching, yeah, there's the searching theme again. I'm searching, searching. And, in yeah. and and I don't know, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just listening through through the speaker in my computer that I'm listening to you playing it, but his voice sounds really ragged there. Like, like that's his, if you don't like his singing, like you're not going to like, <laughs> I don't think he likes the singing on that. Like he's not even doing that Neil Young thing. He's kind of like, like he can't bother even singing like himself right there. It's just like his voice is straining. Well, there, there's something funny that I actually read about that. But first, Alan, I wanted to ask you, like, as a fan, you were already a fan of him. But did were you taken aback at all? Like when you first heard this album, did did you think of that at all? Like, oh, this sounds kind of weird. Kind of. Did you think that or were you on board? No, I think that, I you know, I think that it's kind of like, well, I preface it by saying, in 1976, if I went to the Horseshoe in Toronto, where most of the punk bands were, where well, the fame there was a famous concert there called the Last Pogo, which was like 1977, when a bunch of the best bands in Toronto, like the Vile Tones and all that, stopped playing. Give me go see the bands at the horseshoe in 1976 i was 24 and i felt old i felt old because <laughs> right. they were because because i was like still had long hair from being a hippie and they were four years younger than me so 
I only say that as a preface to, of course, as a rock fan in 1975 and 76, I felt the same thing punks felt, which was rock and roll had become turgid and it was like too much of yes and too much right, of right. whatever. So I think I would have anyway been predisposed by my interests in other things and to something that was breaking apart, something that was like barely you could barely something so i don't know like you can't even not even solid you can't even hold it in your hand like you know this was the opposite of this i'm not saying he made this for the same way that the punk made punk and i'm not saying he's the godfather of punk maybe grunge but i'm just saying the impulse to make this record was similar to an impulse i think that punk rock had and similar to why I liked punk rock when it came because it was, you know, I started, I started a punk band in 1977 simply because people told me you didn't have to be any good on your instruments. And I said, Oh, great. Cause I'm a horrible singer. So I'm going to start a band. Right. So yeah, I, yeah. I don't remember having, I remember loving this record, although yeah, sure. When I bought this record, probably the record I loved most up until then by Neil Young was Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. And I love and, you know, those songs like Cinnamon Girl, they were like pop songs. And I loved his guitar playing and all that. And this is way more deconstructed. I guess that's the word. Yeah, yeah. Deconstructed, Rob. But yeah, like uh, like you said, if you're getting into punk and everything, it's sort of the same aesthetic. And that's why there's so many uh, uh, punk musicians that, that love Neil Young, too, of course, because it's that, you know, it comes from that same thing, sort of the ante of what, like you said, what, what rock was turning into at the time. Alright, so Alan, the one other thing I was asking about this song real quick, did you know about the uh, Joni Mitchell story regarding this song at all? World on a String? Uh, yeah. No, I don't... On the night it was recorded, uh, Joni Mitchell came by the studio to record her song, Raised on Robbery, which, which she did with uh, Young, that song, Raised on Robbery. And I guess when they when she was listening to the playback, she was kind of making a face, like, because it sounded to her like, like a train wreck of recording. And the producer, uh, reportedly, the producer, David Briggs, threw her out of the house. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, even Joni Mitchell, fellow Canadian lover of whatever, even she thought... Come on, Neil. Right. You can do better than that. Yeah, Raised on Robbery, I hit. You know what? If she had never recorded that song, that record would have been better. Oh. I can do oh, okay. I can do without that. I, whatever. I, I can't I'll remember take, if that's Blue or Court and Spark, but <laughs> right. those are both great records, and I could do without that fake vaudeville shit. That, okay, that's fair. Fair enough. All right, so this next tune, Borrow Tune, really cool, really interesting song, Borrow Tune, the whole thing. But let's listen to it first, and then we'll uh, Yeah, I think it. this is thematically sort of the, you know, the heart of the record. But ah, yeah, so. okay, okay. Yeah, all right. I, I could see that why. But all right, let's listen to it, then we'll discuss Borrow Tune.
Wait a second! You can't stop it there. <laughs> That's all right. I know. No, I was thinking. I'll keep it playing. I, thinking, playing I know he wants to stop it, but the 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 whole crux of my argument is going to be killed if the guy doesn't play it. But anyway, okay. So it'll be I'm playing. Gonna, it'll be playing. I'll, so go ahead. Go. I'll, go I'll go say, with your argument. I'm singing this borrowed tune I got from the Rolling Stones. That's the song is called Borrowed Tune. And he borrowed the tune from Lady Jane by the Rolling Stones. My sweet Lady Jane, when I see you again, your servant of I, and will humbly remain. Right, right, and he and he's openly. I mean, he's openly admitting and he's openly, it. He's openly saying it. So here's. Like, I don't know how to talk about this, but, you know, so a guy could go, I'm going to borrow a song by the Rolling Stones, and I'm going to be completely upfront in the tune that I'm borrowing this tune from the Rolling Stones, because I'm so fucked up, I can't even bother to write my own right. song. Right, alone in this empty like, room, I'm is he uh, doing, too wasted to write my own. Right. Is he doing that on purpose, playing a guy who's too fucked up? Or was he actually too fucked up? Right. That's sort of the question. But either way, even if he is being sort of clever, it's still an amazing, like, I, there's no other song ever where a guy is like, I'm too wasted to write my own song. I'm going to borrow this from their song. Then I'm not even going to tell you. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to hide it. Right, hard. right. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's pretty well, yeah, that kind of proves what the record's about. Like. Yeah, it does. And it puts you so immediate in the moment. Because so much, you know, a lot of times when the really great albums, I feel like you get a, like a slice of when it was made in the time. And this puts you exactly in, you know, how he was feeling then. And just you could hear the rasp in his voice. And yeah, the whole fact that he's just barred, that he was too wasted to come up with his own thing, but he wanted to get whatever this was down. And, and it's just, it, it ends up being this amazing thing that's just of that moment yeah i'm gonna uh i'm gonna read one quote from who the hell knows that i found online but i <laughs> thought from it, who the hell knows okay <laughs> uh, young's stones interpolation and blues changes suggest that the building blocks of music belong to us all and we should take what we need and turn the raw material into a new expression that feeling of the possibility of transformation extends to the record as a whole there are so many loose ends frayed connections and smudgy borders 
No single song has any one specific meaning. Whoever said that, thank you. I think that's a, I couldn't have said it better myself, which Probably is why not, I'm yeah. <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah, that, that but, was that, that was very well uh, stated. Uh, this next one, come on, baby, let's go downtown. It, it's interesting uh, that they put, you know, that he wanted to put this, this basically put a uh, live from the Fillmore East uh, that they did in... 70 1970 and it's uh danny witten you know who looms large on the record obviously and uh and and he's uh he's singing a lot of it and uh so it's he's singing it it's his song it's his, it's right. his it's song just, it's basically his and song he's and he's singing, singing it. It. so yeah and neil and neil's like yeah he's like I'm sticking putting... his buddy's song on his record exactly like... but it's great but but it also you know it still works great in the record and it and it's uh yeah it, it all works but let's let's do a little bit of come on baby let's go downtown So it sounds, you know, it sounds like this fun, you know, come on, baby, let's go downtown. But obviously darker, much darker than it. Uh, yeah, they're going downtown to score heroin. Yeah, it's basically like uh, Lou Reed, like uh, waiting for the man, yeah. kind of like a sister. Uh, yeah, it's like Petula Clark, except about heroin. But, <laughs> right. but I mean, the I, this is not a con, it's not controversy, but I find it weird because on this record, it's called Come On, Baby, Let's Go Downtown, co-written by Neil. But a few years earlier, there's a song on the Crazy Horse record, and it's called Downtown, and it's written by Danny Witten by himself. So I don't know which is right, right, truth. But yeah, it's a it's a weird thematic choice. If you're if you're listening to a record, you would probably notice that that voice is not Neil Young. Why is there somebody not Neil Young singing on the record? Right. I guess. Partly because he doesn't give a fuck. Partly maybe he wants to give some money to Danny Witten. Right, you right. Know, estate. And also because he wants to get, I don't know, get Danny Witten in there. And, well, or maybe but, it fits. But also yeah. I was thinking, even though obviously Neil has sung about this, he did Needle and Damage Dung, but it feel like this, the way the way it's presented and Danny Witten, this is something that, a, a junkie song like only a junkie and i know alan i i don't know you but i know you enough to know that me and you uh, we aren't uh, drug guys i mean we never were i don't think you, you were never a drug no guy. i was i was i was amazingly naive about it right. for a long time kind of like 
one after another, things would happen, and I'd be like, why did that happen? And then my friend would, he's a junkie. Like, just like, oh, right. right. <laughs> he's a junkie. Why are you, why are you even, oh, yeah. Like, as much as I knew, as much as I, yeah, definitely. Uh, I cannot escape the fact that no matter how much time I spent in and around, you know, fucked up people and junkies and artists and starving artists, that nice Jewish boy part of me always somehow. It would just never be. Yeah. Same with me. Yeah. I know plenty. Yeah. I've known my whole life. I have, but yeah, it's always, you just got this detachment from it. Well, yeah, no, if anyone ever heard, Oh, you know, Alan became a heroin addict. No one would believe it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, people, yeah, I don't know. People like us have, there are people who are heroin addicts who are exactly like you and me. So I think it's, it's a bit of a coincidence, but at the same time, like just yesterday I was recalling, some friends who I hung out with when I was 17, and they were just a little bit older than me. And at a certain point in the summer, I realized that they kept letting me off at home and then going and doing things that oh, they were <laughs> didn't want to corrupt me. And yeah, like, yeah. whether it was, let's go downtown, do take some Coke and pick up hookers. Oh, we'll leave Alan at home yeah, first. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. So Mellow My Mind. Again, a song, I, I, uh, you know, about a, a desperate, seriously desperate man who, um, you know, who basically his life, you know, uh, any joy of he could feel of living has been ruined by drugs, uh, drug use, I think. And uh, there's another one where the voice, I think his voice, I don't really know what it sounds like when you're in key, but I'm pretty sure he's out of key. Yeah, him. well, there's, yeah, there's another, something else interesting about this, but let's listen to it first and then we'll talk about it. Let's listen to it a little bit of Mellow My Mind. You know, one thing when I listen to this, I imagine, uh, like, I don't know, I, you would think at some point uh, there could be an engineer, you know, you're recording an engineer would say, hey, Neil, do you want to do that again? And then Neil making the choice. No, that's good. You know, let's keep it. And that's no, I know that was <laughs> that was painful. Like, 
and 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 beautiful like just beautiful well like, here's the thing alan i was gonna ask you simply red did a cover you ever hear the simply red cover of it on their 1998 no, album blue no no why would i all right well here okay, the, but here if goes. you listen because so this is mick hocknell trying to sing bad well Let's no see. that's the thing the cleaned up version of it you realize it completely misses the point of the song it just ruins it it misses the point In the chorus there, it, yeah, he's wrecking his voice. Right, right. I never quite, I mean, I don't, I definitely didn't notice this the thousand times I listened to it before I was listening to it analytically and also reading other people saying that his voice cracks. And then I was like, oh, yeah, like, like maybe because, you know, because I don't care also. That's right, the thing. Right. I don't care it doesn't bother me. I think exactly that. You're reminding me the same thing like when when we were young film students, you know, when you take your film in to the lab and the lab technicians are these old guys sitting there like they've seen it all. Uh, yeah. Right. I've been with Charlton Heston and now I'm doing your Fercacta student film. And they're trying to save you from yourself. Yeah. Because you <laughs> want to do this fucked up thing do you want and it they to look wanna, like this <laughs> they want to make it smooth and then they give it to you and like oh we we took care of your mistakes right. and it's like no my mistake was on purpose oh asshole. my god you know like yeah so i'm sure yeah i'm sure yeah definitely probably the engineer was making faces the whole time like oh you know but the engineer is not an artist like our boy Neil, right? Exactly, and he made the yeah. He also, if you listen to Simply Red, you will see a version. You will see Neil made the right choice for sure. Um, all right, so now we get we get side two of the album, and you had mentioned Woodstock, and this I feel like this roll uh, yeah. roll another number for the road is kind of a goodbye and a good oh, yeah, riddance, right to the Woodstock nation. Listen to roll another number for the road. It's too dark to point the keys in my ignition. The morning sun is yet to climb my hood ornament. But before too long, I might see those flashing red lights. Look out, Mama, cause I. a shout out to ben keith that's ben keith on the pedal steel guitar and he's playing uh all throughout the record yeah great so this is like definitely not one of the greatest songs but it's on the record but it's and you know it's sort of definitely they sequenced it and this is a way to start side two and right right not a bad song and definitely on side two like 
two of the greatest songs he ever made are coming up at least two and it's sort of like let's have a little rest right before right, right. we get there and then you know and i think yeah there there's a there's that same theme they, though my though my feet aren't on the ground i've been standing on the sound like you know i mean it's you know it's weird to think like i don't know how old neil young was in 1973 when he I think he's he's not he's less than ten years older than me. So I was twenty one in nineteen seventy three. Maybe he was twenty eight, twenty nine, right, uh, late twenty. And and you know, yeah, he had made. It's funny. I saw online, you know, those questions like, how many songs did Neil Young record? Yeah, so I hit that one. So Neil Young has recorded eleven hundred and eighty songs. Oh wow! How many? How many number ones has he had? One. Um, uh, the on from Harvest, right. Heart of you know, right? He beat Tom, whatever that song is. So yeah, he did not expect to be a huge, a huge star, and that definitely must have. I mean, poor him. Like who? Yeah, you, right. know, who <laughs> you know, uh, whatever the time, the world's tiniest violin. But still, yeah, you know, a lot of people didn't survive becoming big stars, and Neil Young. Neil Young was a, a Canadian boy. He didn't stop. He kept going. He That's made right. records for the next <laughs> 30 years. And maybe he didn't make the greatest records, but he still made a lot of good ones in those 30 years. And he always but, made the records he wanted to make. So yeah, you, you got to yeah. give him that. All right. So this next one, Albuquerque, for me, this one's kind of an outlier on the record because of the way his vocals, they're very clean and sober like because obviously you could tell on this whole album he's not totally sober on on uh some of the songs right. but on this one it, it's a very different delivery for him on yeah Albuquerque. this is that this might be tied for my favorite song on the record even though yes maybe he's sing, singing better yeah I'm yeah consistent <laughs> there it's great though let's just do a little bit of albuquerque So one of these one of these songs where I feel like it's like there's some songs you feel like only Neil Young could write a song like this and, and uh, yeah and although like I was going to tell you before that uh, Neil Young mixtapes I've made a lot of it's not I don't even know if you can call it mixtapes but I made sort of my greatest hits of Neil Young on cassette I made a few of them right. 
in my last film, I even tell a story about listening to a Neil Young mixtape. And I even have a film. I made, I filmed myself listening to, not film myself, I filmed the cassette box from my Neil Young greatest hits from, you know, it's from 1995. I found the footage and I put it in my new film. And I'm only saying that because I loved those Neil Young mixtapes that I made. And on some level, I always thought they were better than any Neil Young record, except this one. Like this one, total, like I, I maybe has two or three others that absolutely belong together. But mostly I just love his songs. But, and I'm saying this about this song because this song, Albuquerque, I think could be on like Neil Young's greatest hits. Oh, okay. The, the 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 part I want to mention about the lyrics is you didn't get to it, but he says he's talking about like renting a car and driving, and he says, "I'll stop when I can. I'll find somewhere where they don't care who I am." Yes, exactly. Yeah, and uh, that it, it it reminds me of this feeling that I had. It's actually in my film Vinyl. I have this part where I say, "I want to. I want the film to do well enough." that I can maybe make some money and then I can move to somewhere where I don't know anybody and nobody knows me. Like you have that feeling like you just like, you're tired of being you. Right. And if you go somewhere where nobody knows you, you could maybe be somebody else. Right. And I'm not sure that that's what Neil means. Maybe when he says they don't care who I am, maybe he just means they don't know I'm Neil Young, the rock star. Right. But for me, I just, I was, you know, right, especially at this age, I've told, I'm, you know, I'm doing a one-man show and I'm telling, or I'm trying to, and I'm trying to tell stories. And part of it is like, I'm so tired of my own stories. I'm so tired of this story about me right. that I tell <laughs> that I wish I can, I can't stop telling it, but I do want to maybe tell it for the last time and then move to somewhere where nobody knows me and I can just be... Have you seen that guy walking around, you know, like wonder who he is? Like, <laughs> but then I won't be on your, I'll still be on your show when I move to. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. So I guess you could say this album came along for you, like at, at a great time, at like the perfect yeah, time for you to I mean, get what you're going to get out of it. It was, yeah. Like at the same time, you know, 1970s American cinema you know, Robert Altman and five easy pieces. And, you know, I was, I was watching, reading a lot of hard boiled detective novels and Cassavetes and whatever. These are all, you know, almost nothing that I consumed is absolutely directly visible in the films that I eventually made, but I bet somebody else could tell me I'm wrong there, but yeah, Neil, Neil Young, you know, when I'm dead and they do an autopsy and they take my brain out and they go, well, let's see who he listened to the most. <laughs> Even though I haven't listened to Neil Young in 20 years, I still think I probably listened to Neil Young more than almost anybody else I can think of. Although I, you know, there are some, yeah, that's, that's who everybody that I think I would eventually do on your show, I'd like to do. The people who would be in that top 10 with Neil Young, which would include Will Oldham and the Palace Brothers, too. But I 
think that's really connected to Neil Young also. Like, right. I think a lot of what I like sounds like I used to, well, I used to say like everything I liked was sort of a cross between Velvet Underground, The Birds and Neil Young. And I think that's kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That's good. You, you could do much worse than those three. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> than those three all right so new mama i think this is a a, a sweet song some in the context of the record it's hard to tell for sure but i think it's a sweet song but let's uh let's let's well yeah this song this song starts this is the only song that reminds me of crosby stills national right right oh yeah for sure for sure Uh, let's do a little bit of new mama new mama's got a son in her Each morning when I wake up to rise, I'm living in a dreamland. Changing times, ancient reasons that turn to lies. Yeah, this one definitely has some uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and and I could almost imagine this is uh, the record company like when they rejected it, saying, you know, well maybe some more songs like like that. <laughs> maybe yeah, do I don't, like I have that. no idea. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that they rejected it in '73 but accepted it in '75. But yeah, I I, sh- I do want to tell you that um, I have no. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young records or Crosby, Stills, Nash records, but partly because when those records came out, they were so ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah. Like every that it felt like like why would you have the record? You know, I've I I have a Stephen Sills solo record that I like. I have a David Crosby solo record I like. I have a Graham Nash solo record I like. But no, Crosby, Stills and Nash that's a bridge too far. But 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 yeah, that that sounds like them. And I don't know what that song's about. I mean, I, Bobby, I can't say I know what any of the songs are about, really, but it sounds to me like he says, changing times that turn to lies, throw them all away and open, you know, he- head in hand, give some wonder to understand and open all the way. I guess I'm saying, I'm guessing, like, you know, like we're in grade 11 poetry class now. Yeah, what is right. that? <laughs> um, I guess it just like... There's no wrong answers, Mr. Zola. <laughs> Really? Not in my school. There were wrong answers. Um, but yeah, it's like, I guess, I don't know. I feel like basically, again, the whole record is like, my friends killed themselves. I don't know what I'm doing. What do I do next? Right, what, where right, am I right. going? What is true? Like, get rid of life's lies. There's gifts of wonder to be found. Open your heart. Maybe a little truth will come in. I don't know. Right. And uh, and so this next song, it's interesting that it's on here. Look out, Joe, because first of all, it's the only uh, studio recording on it that wasn't laid down uh, during their studio instrument rentals. The most of this was recorded at a place called Studio Instrument Rentals, uh, the sessions. But this was the only one uh, with the uh, Stray Gators uh, were playing on the band uh, that he called that. Oh, did not record it at the same time. Right. 
No, no. And actually the song, it was written earlier than the other songs in the album. So this was actually written uh, uh, before Danny Witten died. Um, and it's more about uh, Vietnam, I guess, the plight of Vietnam vet- veterans, which, which is something that uh, that he, he was felt strongly about and sang about a lot, too. Yeah. I mean, what songs? Yeah, it's 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 obviously a little bit random. What song like we're making it seem like it was hands crafted to. But probably there's some randomness that he put in just to be random. Yeah, like, yeah I think so. the song. There's a song, Don't Be Denied. It's on the second, it's on the record whose name I always forget, the the live record. But um, like that song was, I saw, I found this Neil Young live doing Tonight's Night with the same band around the time. And one of the songs he did was Don't Be Denied, but it was, it's not on this record. And, uh, And apparently Don't Be Denied is about Danny Witten also. Oh, okay. All right. Well, well, let's listen to a little bit of this one. Look out, Joe. So it, it's cool, and I, I think it fits. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it fits the vibe of the, uh, of the fit, record. Yeah, I mean, I could see like, well, let's bring that one in. It does sound. There's a couple of songs that sound like quintessential Neil Young songs. What I, I think that's what's cool about the record is a lot of it doesn't sound right. Like Neil Young, like I say, Neil Young songs really sound like Neil Young songs, and and sometimes when you hear a Neil Young song that you've never heard, you feel like you know it right away. Right, right. Because there is definitely something that he does. And this rec- this song is more like that than any than most of the rest of the record. This is one of the few, though, where there's actually direct references to maybe the more the heroin. I don't know if it's heroin, but there's a, remember Bill from Up the Hill, a Cadillac put a hole in his arm. Yep, yep. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's about a Cadillac put a hole in his arm. <laughs> hole in his arm usually means something else. Yep. But yeah, that's this again. I would say this is a a palate cleansing song. 
yep, before yep. the last takes... song, which is maybe the best song on the record. Well, yeah, Tired Eyes. So this is no, uh, there's no, um, it's easy to tell. This is about a drug deal gone awry in uh, Topanga Canyon. So, so near near where I am now. <laughs> and uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's pretty heavy. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of Tired Eyes. Well, they shot four men in a cocaine deal. And they left them lying in an open field. Full of old cars with bullet holes in the mirror. Tried to do his best, but he could not. Please take my advice. wasn't supposed to go down that way but they burned his brother you know and they left him lying in the driveway <laughs> man yeah like i said heavy yeah, shit that's the the it's it is funny the kind of basically spoken word right that the later is like He's like, it really does sound like conversation. I mean, it's like, I mean, was he heavy doper? Was he a loser? He was a friend of yours. He tried to do his best, but he could not. Right. That, you know, it does sound like he's having a direct conversation with somebody. And even though it's not about Bruce Barry or about Danny Witten, it's somebody like that. Somebody. Right, right, right. Friend who's kind of a drug victim, like his friends and. And I think that chorus, I don't know what it means, your tired eyes, but I think that chorus is one of the most beautiful choruses I've ever heard. And I really love that he speaks it. Please take my advice. Please take my advice as if like he can't bring himself to sing it. And then finally he's like sort of has to sing it and sort yeah, of yeah, pushes yeah. it out there. Please, you know. Please take my advice, like, maybe, like, don't kill yourself, like, don't, don't die. I don't know what the advice right. he's saying is, <laughs> but if you're my friend, don't, 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 don't go away. Yeah, yeah it's just so, it, it's so, like I said, the whole thing about the album for me is it's so of the moment, and you could tell he was, like, in the middle of it all. He was in the middle of his grief, in the middle of his trying to make sense of it all, working through it, and the fact that it all got documented this way and he got it down is really a, a, an amazing achievement you know i feel like yeah no it's i mean this is a big discussion and i probably we've talked i've talked too much but it's just like you know there's art and there's craft and you require both and you have to find a way to you know you can't be direct you can't just say exactly what you want that's not art you have to find a vehicle 
to say what you want. And then if you write a song, sometimes you might write like too good a song and too catchy and it's just too pretty and people completely miss what the song's about. I always say to people like, when they say about they don't like sad music, I'm like, what about Do You Know the Way to San Jose? Like that's a totally sad song, but maybe it's just too beautifully written for anybody to hear the sorrow in this loser who's went to LA and didn't make it and he's going back to his hometown. But anyway, I'm just, it's, <laughs> it's hard. It's yeah. It's, it's, you have to have a certain kind of craft and a certain kind of almost like self-destructive urge to make art that is both kind of beautiful and also, I don't know, I'm just babbling, but <laughs> No, it just yeah yeah no i i i know exactly what you're saying yeah because i feel the same way it's just very that's the, that's the thing that i think i've always just loved about him that he's so that he's very brave and he's very uncompromising in his art and the art he's gonna right i mean he can't you can't just go on stage and be naked and say my friend fucked up and he died and i'm sad you have to write songs and right right as soon as you start writing the songs you have to be worried that the songs are either too good or too bad or too melodic or too well produced or right, 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 that right. people will just whistle along and tap their foot and they won't know what you're saying. And yeah. And where, you know, whistling along and tapping your foot is a good thing too. So nothing wrong with that. <laughs> now, uh, Alan, the original, the original album did have the tonight, tonight, the, uh, the other version at the end of it, right? The outro. Yeah. Yeah. The outro. So I'll play it. I'll, I won't play it. In the, I'll play it in the outro. I think of the episode. It's just like basically. You don't, a, a you don't have it on. It's not on the uh, online version of the uh, No, record. it is. I have it. I have it, but I just okay. figured... I don't know if... I never checked it out. I don't know if it's a different version. It is. It's, it's a spare... It's similar. It, it's a more spare... Yeah, it's just a more spare version of it. And uh, yeah, it is different. It's it's more spare. It's more stripped down. And it's funny because I, I realized that he's... That, using two different versions of a song as an opener and closer is a trick he's used a lot because he did it on Russ Never Sleeps Never with Sleep, Hey, hey yeah. My My and um, uh, Freedom, uh, Rockin' in the Free World. So he, that's like a, a little trick. That's use. definitely, I mean, when somebody does that, that's a pretty clear indication they're trying to make a statement. Yeah, yeah. And trying to make something a whole and not just a group of songs. Right. And, yeah. Yep. All right. So this was great. Uh, like I said, this was a great day I, to do that because, uh, Alan, we did find out um, that uh, Telefilm Canada, uh, the funding of. Nobody production. cares about Telefilm Canada. Well, the, the Canadians care. Just, and people. So, all right. So, just so people know, this is something you're going to work on uh, this this film, but it's going to take a while, obviously. So maybe we'll have. Yeah, maybe, it'll be. Uh, maybe yeah, when it'll we be have ready, you on maybe again. Maybe in a year. Yeah. Well, maybe when we have you on again, maybe it'll be, you know, we could do it, you know, yeah. when Yeah. Well, done. okay. Um, I will. I want to say I want to make a strange offer, which is it's kind of self-serving, but you know, whatever you know, uh, Canadian films don't usually penetrate uh, south of the border. Sometimes they do, but we don't. We're considered like a foreign country. So I have eleven feature documentary films, and any of your listeners that write me personally, I will send them my entire filmography. I don't know why they would be interested. Oh, but no, if, you they know, would, they and wanna, it's great. You've they want to listen, if they want to watch 11 documentaries by me for free, 
I just like, you know, I like when the films are seen. I like when they're that's discovered. A great, that's and, a great offer, and, by the way, everyone. So uh, I have links and I have, yeah, and, you know, I don't, I'm never going to make any money again from my films. That's fine. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, don't. It's a, people have said, well, you know, I'll pay you. And it's like, no, you know, <laughs> don't. Like, uh, anyway, so yeah, you I, I'm glad no, that's people... great. That's a great offer, and there is some stuff. If you go to YouTube, you could see uh, vinyl still, and there you could find uh, yeah, some... vinyl there. And uh, there's also an alternative to vinyl called the alternate take that's also on YouTube. And somewhere in an American service, there is my this film I made, 15 Reasons to Live. But a lot of my films are just you know well known in toronto and to lesser degree canada yeah so. but but they're out there and uh oh and, well, when, when jews were funny is on tubi you know oh that's that. right that's right yeah i saw that and uh and that's great um just real it's funny uh, alan something I'll, I'll never forget when i first had you on when you were first on the show and i re- did, didn't know you at all then and i just mentioned that a curmudgeon i think i referred to you as a curmudgeon and you said am i do you think i'm a curmudgeon am i and i said you don't consider yourself a curmudgeon and you said well not for a, a jew <laughs> <laughs> yeah well actually the funny thing is I have to amend that because I say this in my one-man show, which is that for years and years, when people said, you're negative, I would go, no, not for a Jew. But later, Jewish friends, including my siblings, said, no, even for a Jew. Even for a Jew, you are. Yeah, I I think so. But But I don't think I'm I'm negative. I think I'm maybe, you know, whatever, like my own man. I don't suffer fools gladly. I don't, I don't like, I don't like... uh, unwarranted uh celebration like i like and you're i like celebration but it's like kind of like hey it's all good no it's not all good right of course no that that who could say that but you know the weird thing is i'm i'm going to say this on your show i'm happier than i've ever been in my life i will i was just gonna say that now because i was gonna say you know what i feel like you're happy because yeah you you have your uh, daughter now and you have and and now especially you just found out uh you're going to be able to make another film yeah no no i've 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 Uh, despite yourself you're happy i i (laughs) my middle years were pretty miserable and and so much so that when i succeeded i couldn't let go of it and i couldn't let go of it and i i often it's like if somebody if, if somebody said like oh you're that successful filmmaker guy I'd be like fuck you like yeah right don't call me, don't call me successful <laughs> yeah. you know like if you don't know the 25 years of failure and all that then you don't know me right and it took a lot to let go of that but you know I, I have almost let go of it. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, no, I think so. And I'm very happy for you. And uh, oh, don't forget. Can I ask you one more thing? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I just watched, I listened to this show you did about Beck with Barry and M- Margarita. Mark, yes. uh, so you said that was 300. Is this going to be 301? It is going to be 301, yes. So I'm the beginning of the next 300. There you go. There you go. The beginning of the next Maybe I could be 600, <laughs> 601. And I just want to mention real quick uh, our newest patron to the show, Adam Wiener. Now it's W-I-E-N-E-R. So do you think it's Wiener or Weiner? Weiner. Yeah, they, maybe it's they, Weiner. They, 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 uh, I, think, I think different people pronounce it. There is no correct... There's no correct pronunciation. It's Wiener or Wiener, whatever. Oh, okay. All whatever right. well, they Adam. say in their family. <laughs> but either way, 
probably Jewish. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, welcome to the uh, Patreon family. Uh, Adam, if you want to become a patron of the show, don't forget you can go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMA to become a patron. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at, at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high. On Twitter, it's at TR. Oh, it's, is it? It's not Twitter anymore. It's X. On X, it's at TRGMH podcast. I don't even know anymore. It's ridiculous. Uh, you could email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Uh, Alan, this was great. It was great fun. It was yeah. a great album to do. And uh, yeah. I'll be talking. Say goodbye to your shadowy figure. Yeah, I, I will. I'll say goodbye. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all next week. I'm Rob Elba. We're out of here. Bye. Bye.